Thank you, Betsy, and choir. Ancient holy words. Our good preacher, Royce Williams, that's been preaching this holy ancient word, is in Jamaica this morning. He left Friday morning. This has been scheduled for several months. And so I have the privilege of introducing our speaker that's going to bring the ancient holy words to us this morning. His name is Todd Sienski. Good Polish name. He's another adoption. He married my youngest daughter. We met him when he was a young graduate of the Air Force Academy flying C-130s at Pope Air Force Base. And that's where he met my daughter, became a part of our church family, began to grow in the Lord, began working on his masters, taking classes uh, while there as a pilot. Finally, he finished his obligation for Air Force Academy and training, which was about seven years. He was hired with the American Airlines, and for the last 32, three years, he's been a captain with American Airlines, continuing to walk with the Lord, raising five children, four now walking with the Lord, finished college, married to Christians, walking with the Lord. He's a powerful disciple of his own children. And his last one is at the University of Oklahoma as a junior, walking with the Lord, and she's just led her young boyfriend to the Lord that was in pre-law. He has, while we're flying out of Dallas, his home port, He's completed his master's at the Southwestern Seminary, and he has been very active with his family at First Baptist in Dallas under Dr. Jeffers, and he's been teaching for some four years in a discipleship university. He loves God and has been a disciple of people, and we've invited him in Royce's absence to come and speak to us this morning. It's my pleasure to introduce Todd Sienski. Yes, sweet. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Dr. Tarkington, for that wonderful introduction. And this is a big morning for all of us here at Keshire Baptist. Um, For the men, we had just a fabulous breakfast. It was out of this world. Wives, if any of your husbands were cooking, they've lied to you. They're excellent cooks, and they're just fantastic. It was great. Um, what was particularly special, um, Ron and Pam Miller's son-in-law, Matthew, Laney shared, uh, Matthew and Liz lost their precious son, Graham, and uh, Matthew was able to share with us this morning very powerfully and uh, set the tone for our morning. So, Matthew, thank you for that. It was uh, a faithful testimony of, of your walk with God and, and Liz, your walk with God through this all. And we need to hear that. And that's, Liz, if you ever get to have the opportunity to share with women, please do. It was powerful. What you have um, in your bulletin is a bulletin insert. And 
whether it got lost in transmission with the internet, you know, it kind of gets out there. Uh, only the front page was published on, and we didn't copy the back page, so I added the um, back page to the notes. And uh, those uh, sermon notes are there to assist in active listening. I don't know about you, sometimes um, I get a little distracted in listening, and so it helps me stay on track. So I hope that helps you uh, with that. But uh, as uh, Dr. Tarkington said, we attend First Baptist in Dallas. It's a great church. Um, we kind of consider ourselves the belt buckle of the Bible belt there. It's a beautiful church. It's it's just fantastic. We just built a new uh, sanctuary there, new in campus downtown ministry, and uh, you don't do that nowadays. We have a problem at our church. We have too many young kids. So that's a great problem to have. And anyway... Um, we just celebrated our 150th anniversary, and we're just busting with pride over that. And I get here, and you guys are coming up on your 250th anniversary, and just kind of deflates me a little bit. You, you have nothing. Uh, we have nothing on you. It's fantastic to know that you're coming up on 250 years of God's faithfulness, of His testimony here in Eastern North Carolina, and so that's just tremendous. It is a privilege to be speaking with you in, it, in this historic sanctuary. You know that when you have a, um, a building this age, sometimes we have a tendency to call it an old sanctuary. When we built our new sanctuary, we initially referred to the older building as the old sanctuary. Well, you don't do that. You call it a historic sanctuary. In this historic sanctuary, so if someone calls you historic, um, they really mean old. But anyway, um, it's, in this historic sanctuary... Uh, it's just a great place to be, and, and there's many uh, things flooding through my mind right now. I, I, I just marvel at the stained glass windows and the beauty that we receive from just maybe before the service. You contemplate, you look out there, and you see the various colors, the hues, and how beautiful that is. But what's more beautiful are the ones that they're dedicated to, or the families that dedicated these to the memory of these loved ones, and it's very special. I think of the the pews that you're sitting in. I'm, I'm a lover of uh, the natural oak and the wood, and, and I just it's just rich and, and cherished. But I also think about through the years. Think with me: the thousands of people who have sat where you have sat, and I've heard the teaching of these ancient words and the sharing of the good news, the gospel, and being equipped for ministry. Just think of the thousands through the years who have been, been ministered. And then I'm standing at this pulpit, this sacred desk. I think about the those who've stood here before me and the privilege and the big shoes I'm trying to fill this morning. And it's awesome to be here. Awesome as in fearful to proclaim the word of God accurately and succinctly to you to where you're able to incorporate it into your life, make it a part of your life. So... Um, all of this kind of swirling together in my head. And, and what comes to mind is that passage in Psalms 16.6, which says, My heritage is beautiful to me. My heritage is beautiful to me. My purpose in sharing with you this morning is this, is that I would like to encourage and exhort you in this time, without a pastor, to remain faithful to the Lord in the work that he's doing here in eastern North Carolina. God is at work. I would like to show you how he's at work uh, in and among you and for you not to give up hope or faith that God is still working in and through you. So um, if you would, 
Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 16. And as we do, um, we, we want to profit from the psalmist's perspective this morning. The psalmist has uh, special things in this, and this was the passage that the Lord brought to mind to share with you this morning. And so there's, he has a perspective here that we need to profit from. So let's see what it says. When we look at this word, you're going to see this word come up several times. It's the word called heritage or um, lineage or inheritance. They're basically saying the word the same word. It's the word, the, the Hebrew word, nachala. That doesn't mean much, but that's what the word is in Hebrew. But it means heritage or uh, inheritance, uh, lineage, portion, lot. They're interchangeable terms, but they deal with something of value, whether it's a physical possession or a value or a virtue, as in, say, a family name or reputation that's passed down from one generation to the next. Okay? And it's something of value that's passed on. And so what I'd like us to do today is, as we look at this passage, there's three perspectives that we need to gain from this understanding of our heritage. Our heritage of faith that we're going to look at. We're going to look at our past heritage. We're going to look at our present heritage. And then we're going to look at our future heritage. So if you would, turn with me to Psalm 16. And as we're going there, one of the things that we realize when we uh, deal with um, uh, this thing of heritage, lineage, uh, inheritance, uh, it's a big thing with God. Okay, you, if you read through the Bible annually or have read through the Bible, maybe reading through the uh, uh, Gospels, you get to those points where so-and-so begat so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, and we get this lineage thing, and we kind of hope we endure through it, don't we? Okay, because I'm just, I'm doing the Evelyn Wood speed reading course through that because it's difficult. I don't know who these people are in the initial reading, but it's important to God because these are real people living in a real time in a real place, and the lineage that he's tracing is very important to us. In uh, the Gospels, we see the lineage of Jesus, and that's very important. We see this line from uh, all the way uh, in, in the one Gospel, Luke, all the way to Adam, and we see the other ones tracing the lineage of Messiah, and that's all there to prove that Messiah is, in fact, who he says he is. The promised one. He's there. And so the names are very important to us. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul illustrates this, talking about this tree of faith, this cultivated olive tree that has a root and comes up and branches out. And these are, this is a tree of faith extending from Abraham. And Paul in that passage cautions us, look, if God doesn't spare the natural cultivated branches because of their unbelief, we need to be cautious as well. But he then says, we as wild olive branches are ingrafted. It's a, cultiv- a cultivation term where they cut into the tree and they put these branches in. They tie them up and then they begin to grow. And that's what he speaks about the Gentiles being ingrafted into this lineage or this heritage of Abraham. And it's, how is that attained? By faith. You're familiar with Hebrews 11. And we have the honor roll of faith. And we see these saints through the years, commended for their faith. And so this issue of faith and faithfulness becomes very important to God. And we're going to see that in this passage. But if you would, let's turn with um, into um, Psalm 16. And right off the bat, we start with this. It says, this is a mictam of David. And we go, what the world is a mictam? 
It's not a very common Hebrew term. It's only used here in Psalm 16, and then from 56 to 60, there are only six psalms that are referred to as miktams. There's some that are called maskels, and that's a musical term to help the um, choir leader. This is the Jewish songbook that we're talking out of today, but it was a musical term to him. But miktam, that's a little different. And with miktam, what it was to do is to show that um, the way we don't have a precise meaning in the word, but the way the word is derived, it comes from something very valuable, as in gold, a gold plate, and something inscribed on it. The message is very important or precious. It's engraved in, it's graven. Um, and it's also as if it's a secret thing. Charles Spurgeon said, this, he calls the miktam the Psalms of the special secret. So there's something in these psalms that are that we're to look for and to derive something. So here we look at David, and he speaks about his past heritage, what God has passed on to him. And so David remembers um, his spiritual heritage of faith, and it says in verse 1, let's read to, to verse 3, it says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. So we see here that David pleads to God, he preserved me, and I take refuge in you. This is speaking of David's salvation. This term refuge deals with the concept of a um, mother hen taking her wings and protecting her chicks. Similar to the expression that Jesus used when he lamented Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets and kill those who sent you. I, w- I had longed to take your children under my wing as a mother hen, her chicks, but you've refused me. It's the same protection. And so this shielding of the mother hen to the chicks is really what salvation is, isn't it? We're saved or we're protected from a judgment to come. We are saved from a, a judgment to come. So David recalls this salvation. He said to the Lord, you are my Lord. And we give, in our salvation experience, we give God the first place. We take ourselves off the throne of our hearts and we place the Lord Jesus there. You're number one, not me. So you're Lord. And so David recalls that. And look what he says. I have no goodness besides you. And isn't that the right place to receive salvation? That in and of ourselves... We have nothing. Paul, the apostle, said, In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And the writer of Isaiah said, All our righteousness are as filthy rags. And is that not the right place to come, that we realize we're unable to save ourselves, and his goodness and his righteousness is what we need and not our own. So David recalls um, his heritage of faith in his salvation. Then he goes on to say, As for the saints who are in the earth... They are the majestic one in, ones in whom is all my delight. David loves the saints, the holy ones of God. That's what you are called. You're separated from the world, from uh, the marketplace of sin. You're taken out, and you're the holy ones. You're God's holy ones. And David says, "They're my delight. They're my. Um, uh, they're the majestic ones in whom I delight." So David loves the people of God. He. Um, uh, gives gives preference to them. And we see this, how it manifests itself. He says in verse 4, look at this. And, and there's a contrast that exists here. He says, The sorrows of those who battered for another god will be multiplied. 
I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. David shuns idols. He won't even take their name upon his lips. He will not even drink their drink offerings. He has nothing to do with these unrighteous. He abhors them. And so that's an important thing for us as Christians that we have, we, we don't partake of the world. We're different. We're holy and we're set apart for God's purposes. And that's what David recalls. So when we look at David's past, he, he looks at his salvation experience and how God was a refuge to him and protecting him from the judgment to come and that he loves the, the people of God, the, the saints. Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. David had love for the, the saints of his age and we have love for the saints of our age. And then he says, have nothing to do with idols or the things of the world. Now, in light of that, he then looks at his present uh, heritage and what we possess and what we're going to pass on. David reflects on his spiritual heritage of faith. He says, and this is the portion I read from, um, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. So what David is doing is he's uh, looking at his circumstances. He's gaining some unique perspective here. And he looks at his his lot, his surroundings. And the language that he uses here is metaphorically speaking about an allotment of land. The lines, like in property lines, have been issued to him. And he looks at it. And again, metaphorically, he's looking at his life and he sees the blessings of God. And many of you have, uh, through uh, relatives that have passed on before you, you've gotten property and lands and uh, maybe a, a sibling or another got another portion. And when you compare those lands, maybe yours was better, more fertile and better to farm or was a better investment. Um, David looks at his situation in life and says, I have a goodly heritage. I have a beautiful heritage. My situation is indeed beautiful. And so he recognizes that and he appreciates where he is with God. We have no idea where this is written in David's life. It could have been with Saul pursuing him. Maybe he's come into the kingdom. Or maybe even after his sin with Bathsheba and the troubles with Absalom. We don't know where this is written. But regardless, he has a perspective that's saying, my heritage is beautiful to me. Now look what happens as he, as he looks forward. He looks at, at God's help in his life in the present. He says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So David recognizes God's help. He says, the Lord has counseled me. How does God counsel us? Well, we know he counsels us through his word, through his spirit, through other saints, through um, circumstances. God uses those things in our lives to get our attention and to direct us, and he counsels us through it. Look also, um, indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. In the quietness of the night, David is being instructed in his mind by the things of God. It's kind of like the cow chewing the cud, just going over some things maybe. And he's being instructed in that, meditating on the word of God. God's instructing him in the quietness of night. And that makes a great point to say, if you are not spending your time with God each and every day, and what the Christian discipline is called the quiet time, and we spend time with God alone and quiet, one-on-one, 
How will he instruct us in the busyness of life? So I challenge you and encourage you to spend time with God and know the mind of God in these things that you get to be instructed by him. And that's where God is a very help in time of trouble, a very help in times of good times. He's there and he helps. But look at look what happens. In verse 9, he says, Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also dwells securely. Anytime you see the word therefore in the scriptures, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to see what's it there for. And so what it does is really refers to the verses before it. And so because of this uh, counseling of God and this instruction of God and, and uh, um, that, that God is with him, that his heart rejoices. Uh, I want to back up. In verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord continually before me, okay? And then it says, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. In his heart, he's glad because he has set the Lord before him. That speaks of direction. And then he says, at my right hand, you're with me. We just sang a song with God being at our right hand. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And we speak about him being our right hand. What did we know about the right hand in ancient times? That's a position of honor and privilege. So when we keep the Lord with us, that's a very prestigious place, prominent place for us. But these two things speak of direction and presence. If that's not the abiding life, I don't know what is. God will guide us and he'll be with us regardless of what we go through. So he says, therefore, in light of this, My heart is glad, and my glory, or my inner being, rejoices. He's he's thrilled. My flesh will also dwell securely. So the happiness, or the heart is encouraged by experiencing God, and intimacy is evident with him. And we can do, we we need to do that now in our lives, that we experience God in intimacy. We often proclaim Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Well, the question is, how's that relationship going? If you were to say that Jesus is my best friend, do you spend time with him in prayer and reading his love letter to us? That's the challenge for us as the saints, that we're to walk in intimacy with Christ and experience him in this. And that's where the joy of the Christian life comes. That's where that's where we are. We're just, God, you're here in this circumstance. Man, you went through a, a, a terrible thing. How can you go through something like that? Without Christ being there, I says, I've got this. He's with me. He's with me. Things are good. We're going to go to him. Their dear, dear son, Graham, that was say early. God's going to use that. But he was there with you, and he met with you. And that's the reality of Christianity. Sometimes we, we're the, the, the sourest people. We have a long face. We should be the most joyous because of that intimate relationship with Christ. So he, he sees his situation there in his <clears throat> present situation. He, he uh, values and, and appreciates his present circumstances, his heritage. But David looks forward. He looks ahead. And he says, he's looked on uh, what's going to be passed on to us in all eternity. David refocuses his attention, looking ahead to the future heritage of faith. He says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. In the Old Testament, the place of the temporary dead, the unseen place of the temporary dead, was a place called Sheol. And I don't have much time to get into explaining Sheol, but the righteous and the unrighteous went to Sheol. Um, The place where the righteous dead was called paradise, or Abraham's bosom, and that was a temporary heaven until 
Jesus came, took them captive, and took them to heaven in the resurrection. That was a temporary place. So in the Old Testament, there was a fear of being abandoned to Sheol. And so, but David, his hope in the Lord was that, no, you're not going to abandon my soul to Sheol. There's a promised Messiah coming. And it's shown in this next verse. It says, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. This Holy One speaks of one coming. That Holy One is Messiah, Meshua. He's coming. And that was the hope of the Old Testament. They're looking forward to that Lamb that was going to come in Messiah. And if this verse sounds familiar, it should. This is the same exact passage that Peter used in the book of Acts at Pentecost. Making the case for those there that this Messiah is this Jesus that we crucified. And elevates him. Paul in uh, Galatia, Pisidia, he makes this same statement in the synagogue. In his preaching of Christ that he was, in fact, the Messiah. He would not let his holy ones see decay. This is a messianic psalm. This is a messianic verse speaking of something great, the, the hope of all Israel. And that's David looking forward. That's my hope, and it's our hope. We look back to the, to the uh, cross. He was looking forward to it, and yet we look forward to being with Messiah. And then it says, here he speaks of help in a future sense. He says in verse 11, you will make known to me the paths of life. So even though David is here and he's living in this time, God is showing him that I will continue to be your help. I'll guide you. I will direct you. You'll make known to me the paths of life. So we benefit from that, don't we? And finally, look at here. Again, his present, his focus is looking forward. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Speaking of that ultimate inheritance we'll receive one day to be present with the Lord in heaven. So he's looking forward to heaven. And that's the Christian's hope. He's looking forward. He says, I have hope in this Messiah. I have a future help in living life. And I have a future reward, a future heaven to await me. And so we see from the psalmist's perspective... And hopefully you have that perspective. God's at work. We trust him. We want to live a heritage of faith and that we'll leave a heritage of faith. This morning, we see Chad's baptism. That is a tremendous heritage of faith that we're, he's preparing for the future in his family's life. We're seeing the fruit of that, and it's a great heritage of faith that you're uh, choosing to lead. And it's it's encouraging, and I hope that you're encouraged to remain faithful to the Lord. Here in this time, without a pastor, we're praying with you for God's man to come, that you will continue to grow, and that this church in eastern North, North Carolina will have the gospel influence God wants it to have. And I hope that this passage has encouraged you to say, look, I remember my salvation. I remember the, the joy and the fellowship and the love of the saints that I have. And I'm not, I'm not going the way of the world. I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, tied to, to the idols and idol worshipers of this world. 
Yogi Berra, the great theologian and philosopher, said, you can observe a lot just by looking around. And what he means by, you can learn. And we look in this day that we're living in, and the, and, and the direction of this world. Um, with Christians, we don't, we don't get tied down into the, um, uh, the calamities on the news that we watch. It's easy to get depressed. It's easy to be discouraged. Uh, we see our values that are trampled underfoot. It seems like the uh, people who are uh, for abortion are just trampling under God's law. When we talk about uh, homosexual marriage, we just feel like God's, these people are trampling on God's word. And yet we're faithful. Say, Lord, you said it. I believe it. I trust you in this. Um, it's, uh, we look at our culture and it's going down. But be of good cheer. Our God is sovereign. Our God is the one who is, he's established you in the faith. He's causing you to grow. He's placed you where he wants you to place. You have a beautiful heritage here, a fellowship of saints that is powerful. And so I say that to you to encourage you to remain faithful to the Lord. Be his people in this time, in this community, and God will be, we'll all stand amazed at what God will do. Now, this message this morning was primarily for Christians to encourage the saints, um, to encourage you in the ways and things of God. And I know in an audience this size that sometimes we have people who are not believers, who are not Christians. And, and when we talk about inheritance and when we talk about heritage, I need to caution you, I need to warn you that these are not yours. These are for the people of God. And let me show you something. In the book of Corinthians, Paul cautions such behavior. In, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Or do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's a long list. Sometimes we only focus on the sexual sins of homosexuality and that in our political discourse, but there's a long list of sins here. And if these sins that you're practicing and you have not, they have not come under the blood of Christ, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I can identify with some of these sins in my time before coming to Christ, and many of you can. And that's the good news that Paul then says to the Corinthian church, he says, and such were some of you. Point, when I'm pointing to you, i got three more pointing back at me. And such were some of you, and he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There's hope. Even if you're apart from Christ, these sins can be dealt with. You can receive a new life. You can have that salvation that, that David recalled. And you can have that intimacy with, with uh, God's people and with God. And have a heritage that's beautiful. We're going to close in our <clears throat> invitation. And the question that often comes up is, how do I become a Christian? And it's very straightforward. For those of you who might not know, I keep it very simple. It's as simple as A, B, C. So simple, children can do it. So complex, theologians spend their lifetime studying it. But it, to appropriate salvation, make salvation yours, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, 
admit that you're a sinner. If those sins are reflecting of your life, uh, I'm there, okay? I admit I'm a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in payment of your sins with the blood that God required for sacrifice. He says, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And so, there had to be a blood sacrifice. And C, call on the name of the Lord. Ask him to save you, and he will. It's an amazing thing. It's so simple. A child can do it. So simple, any of us can do it. So, as we close, we'll have a hymn of invitation. Dr. Tarkington, if you'll be here with me. If you are not a Christian, and you'd like to have this new life in Christ, inherit the blessings of God in your life, and a walk in a, in a relationship with him, come visit us. If you're a, a family or a, a a leader in your family, and you want to establish a Christian heritage in your home, come visit with us. We'll talk with you, whatever. Um, I thank you for this wonderful time together, your attentiveness and your and, and listening to what God had to us. And as, as uh, Spurgeon said, this is the psalm of the special secret. I think by maintaining perspective in your day that you'll see that God is still at work and to trust him and be faithful to him. Thank you.